Let's give me a this face. Hit me with a this face. <laughs> Do it for me. I'm so happy that we have an audio podcast. Yeah. Well, I, I don't care what the... I mean, it's not my problem if they can't see you. Give me one. <laughs> You're not doing it. No, you do it. That <laughs> you got it. Well, you got to wipe it awful. down for you. Got to yeah. It's yeah. It's not. It's I mean, come on. It's not. It, it's not like a model face or whatever. It's the this. No, face. I like, mean, it's literally the directions for it are. I know. You know, look on your face like, like you smelled some piss. Yes, she's doing it. Yes. <laughs> ah. That's the thing is a lot of people are like, what happened to Thiz? What happened to Thizzle? It actually. Liz really her sort of emergence on the Bay Area rap scene really took that over because it all became li- the Liz face, the Lizzle dance. Dude, like, I said explicitly in the notes for our show, I said absolutely no jokes about Liz, Thiz, this Franzag, uh, no Lizzle. There's no Lizzle. Do I feel in my calcium deficient bones, shaky as they are, a nickname, Thiz Franzak? <laughs> It's okay because I don't have a Wikipedia page. Wikipedia? <laughs> Did I just say Wikipedia? Wikipedia. You don't have Wikipedia page, Liz. Oh my god. Thizzle Wikipedia. Uh-huh. Goes yes. together. Um Lizzle. Wait, no, we're not using any of this. We're using all this. Here's no. the thing. Liz and I, uh, unbeknownst oh to Young Chomsky, goodness. took a little bit of uh ecstasy before we started recording. No, we didn't. I feel so fucking good right now. Oh my god. Um it's crazy. It's like you ever like, damn, I should record a podcast, but like maybe I should like take a like just like get in the tub and just start putting fucking body body lotion all over myself. <laughs> you ever do that? Hello everyone. I'm Liz. Hey, what's up? I'm Brace. Uh if it sounds echoing here, it's because I'm in the bathroom. <laughs> uh we are joined by producer Young Chomsky, who is actually Honestly, stepping up today and doing most of my rub down for me because my arms are sort of constrained by the a very narrow tub. Uh, and the podcast is called Thizanon. <laughs> I was wondering which way you were going to go with that one. Mm-hmm. Um, we are talking hyphy today. Yeah. We're getting hyphy. Yeah, Liz, we were talking. I mean, this is Liz and I have been have been on on the hyphy hyphy phone all day today with each mm. other um but we were talking about how it's crazy like the bay has produced so many of these different sort of sounds and all of it kind of just like fails right before it launches yeah yeah the bay area is like very unique in that way i think i don't know um it's like across genres and decades it seems like there's been multiple times where like you'll feel and hear the Bay Area influence in like a whole wide array of different in different places, whether it's like an art or music, but particularly music I'm thinking of. Yeah. But like almost everyone fails to break out and become famous. 
this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, especially like, uh, especially fail. I mean, they might break out and they might become famous, but they don't do it attached to the part of like the, of the wave of music that they're a part mm. of. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like E40 is like famous now, but he's like, it's not like he's the hyphy movement kind of didn't come with him. And like all those sort of like, you know, garage indie rock punk bands or whatever from like 2009, like all of those, like they all had to move away or like leave the Bay area and like that sort of movement, all that, it all failed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then like every once in a while, like somebody comes along who really like embodies or is able to kind of embody that region or a specific region and a style, like, and this like moment in time so perfectly. And I really do think, I mean, Mac Dre like really is that, or the Bay Area in the kind of, of the kind of like, you know, late nineties through mid two thousand or mid early two thousands, really, you know, up until his death. Um, but that like really precise moment of like kind of in between post post gangster rap, right up into hyphy. I mean, Mac Dre like is that. He is Vallejo. He is um, you know, East Bay rap. And yeah. the kind of mystery and tragedy of his death. Like I, I don't know, it, it's it's so horrible because of those things. Like because this, it's almost like um, all this stuff got famous like because he died, which makes it even mm-hmm. like sadder, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's like the the hyphy martyr. I mean, it's it's yeah. it's wild because a lot of that really took off. I mean, we we talked about it in the episode, but like uh, you know, like tell me when to go, you know, stun of shades, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like was like really just hit the, hit the mainstream after, after Mac Dre died and Mac Dre's death was, you know, a huge deal. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy because like, even, you know, like basically everybody I know still in the Bay is like, I mean, he, the Mac Dre n- never went away for a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, people totally. still listen to him all the time. Like it's yeah. still like a household name. I mean, it's, it's, it's really wild just how long, especially considering how, how many years it's been now since 2004, uh, just the stain power and the cultural power of Mac Dre. And, and, uh, you know, Donald mentioned it sort of after we stopped recording, but yeah, July 5th, Mac Dre day. Oh yeah. Coming up in the Bay. So, uh, Make sure to uh, put those whistles on the back of your car <laughs> and then start your car. Put it, I think, in neutral. Not really sure what, what's going on with cars. Start your and, car to get out of the car. Yeah. Uh, actually, you know what? Here's the thing. If you're a hater, you don't actually have to leave your garage. You can start your car in the garage and just wait okay. around in there. And things oh, will get no really high if you really no. okay. Um, but if you're not a hater, uh, you can uh, you can go ghost ride the whip on July 5th. Well, like you said, we got Donald here. Let's uh, let's get into his piece on Mac Dre, the murder of Mac Dre, the mystery around the murder of Mac Dre, and how he solved it. Hello, everybody. Hi. I like to introduce you to the thizzle dance. Thizzle dance? Thizzle dance, I said. Can I do the thizzle dance? Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. We are going stupid, do do dumb today here on True and On. We are riding the yellow short bus. Uh, we are morons. We are stupid. And uh, we are getting to the bottom of one of the biggest uh, murder cases to hit Bay Area music, I think, in decades, uh, the murder of Mac Dre. And we have with us here investigative journalist Donald Morrison from Law 360 to, uh, to really talk us through 
kind of an astounding, uh, astounding case. Uh, Donald, welcome to Chewing On. How you doing? Thank you for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm a huge fan. Um, we got to start. Mac Dre, the hyphy movement, Fizz, Ghost Riding the Whip, Going Stupid Doo Doo Dumb. Um, for those of you who don't know, Mac Dre was, when I was growing up, um, the biggest hands down rapper in mm. the Bay Area. Uh, and and the most influential musician of any kind, I think, in my young life. Uh, even if you chose not to listen to Mac Dre or whatever, or you know, were actively tried to get away from the hyphy movement uh, uh, during during the early two thousands, you would be unable. Um, and so, so Donald, talk to us a little about who is Mac Dre. Yeah, like you know, Mac Dre, like you said, he he's an absolute rock star from from the Bay Area, one of the architects of the hyphy movement. And I grew up in Portland, Oregon, and it was very inescapable there too. Um, my first show, my first concert was um, Andre Nicotina and the Mob Figures. Oh yeah, sick. Um, I was already. I think that probably was in two thousand six. So Mac Dre had already been dead for two years by the time I was old enough to to know what's what. Um, but, but yeah, he, he was hugely influ- influential for me growing up as well. He was arguably like the biggest musical artist to me and my, my friend group. The thing is with Mac Dre too, is that he not only was part of the Lahifi movement, he was basically the leader of it. Like, even all the stuff that he didn't come up, I mean, he didn't come up with the term hyphy. He didn't come up with a lot of this stuff. You know, he didn't come up with Ghost Riding the Whip, but all of that is super associated with him. Um, and, you know, a little bit of background on Mac Dre. His real name is Andre Hicks. Uh, I think he's he's from Vallejo, later moved to Sacramento. Um, he, uh, yeah, it's funny. Liz, we were, we were just talking before we started recording. There's like a very big, like, um, departure point for Mac Dre, uh, in, in musically at least. Uh, and I think that really coincides with when he went to prison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he was like basically, uh, kind of all wrapped up in this crew through, what was it like the kind of early to mid eighties up through the early nineties, there was like a rash. I don't want to, I don't know why I just went with that word, but there was a rash of robberies, uh, like throughout California, but I mean, specifically in Los Angeles and the Bay area. And one of the, there was like different crews that were kind of getting, uh, these robberies pinned on them. One of them was this, this crew called the romper room crew. Is that what they call themselves? The romper room. Yeah. I think romper room gang, right? Romper room. The gang, romper room right. gang off of, it was based off of like a, a kid's television show. Yeah. 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 I watched that show as a kid. <laughs> I like had a flashback to it when I was like listening to some of this stuff earlier. I was like, Whoa. Um, but Mac Dre basically got, I mean, he got pinned for the, a bunch of these or like one of these robberies or conspiracy to commit a robbery. Uh, and put away for like five years. It's a it's a crazy story too because he, you know, the romper room gang that they were known for like robbing pizza stores specifically mm. and, and for banks. And one of the another Bay Area rapper, Jay Diggs, he still gives like interviews. He was one of the ones um, arrested for that conspiracy um, to commit bank robbery back in 1993. And Mac Dre, they had like gone down there, and while Mac Dre was hooking up with some girl his friends were casing this bank um, and the, the cops had been working on this for like years trying to get these guys. And they, sh- they show up to the bank to rob it. And the, the local news crew 
picks up on the radio that this big thing is going to happen and blows like this years long operation by the police. So that <laughs> clearly weren't very smart in, in planning that one. Um, but, but they still had enough to like, I think they found burglary tools, maybe some masks inside the car. Um, and because mm-hmm. Mac Dre wouldn't tell on his friends is, is the legend. Uh, he, he did yeah. five years and you know, that's that's uh, that's a hard time for for not robbing a bank. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I mean he was like coming up before this. I mean he already had like I think he had what like at least a couple mixtapes out. Like people knew who he was. Uh, you know there was like the the Bay Area had a kind of I mean it was it wasn't yet anything close to what Hyphy like even in sound it wasn't even close to that. It was much more like gangster rap kind of style, I guess you could say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but he like, but I mean, he was like, people knew who he was. You know what I mean? Um, and he like, I mean, the crazy thing was that he started like putting recording raps like from prison, which is yep. cool. Like through the through the phone at jail, um, which only like kind of like added to his legend while he was in jail. Absolutely. He was like one of the first rappers to do that. And and he yeah. wrote, he wrote too hard for the fucking radio, which is yeah. his big, his like big yeah. first single. That was, he wrote that while in high school. And then it was on the young black brother album that he released while he was in prison. So like he had a couple mixtapes, but, but that prison stint, I mean, it came before his like major debut. Like it, it really stifled his plans of, of becoming an artist. It was like a very tragic time to have that happen. Yeah, it's crazy because I, sorry, Brace and I were just like talking about this and I was saying like, it's so fucked up to like, imagine being in jail and then like watching a bunch of your, your boys and kind of the Bay Area, like get famous and rap, like really take off. Cause this is like, I mean, that was like what, like 92, 93. I mean, this is like, you know, right when everything is starting to kind of explode and he's, you know, basically sequestered away from all of it. Exactly. Um, and he's one of the, he, I think he is the first rapper to have his, his lyrics and his art used against him in, in the case. Like, I think it predates Tupac's uh, 1994 yes. um, thing. And, and so that's something that, you know, we see a lot of these days. Um, so, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. The whole thing is he, 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 his, I think it was like Romp Room Records was his like, you know, little record label. He talked about, you know, the Romp Room, mentioned it in a bunch of different songs. And they, yeah, they like use that to prove that he was in the gang, which is just pretty wild. And he gets out, I think, around 96, right? Yeah. And yeah, I think so. from what I understand, I, you know, I'm no hyphy historian and that's the thing. Like, you know, I, 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 I'm not an expert on any of this stuff. This is basically just like me remembering kind of like how this stuff went down. Um, when he gets out though, like it seems like from what I get from like what his mom says and kind of what his friend says, he was like, he wanted to like kind of leave like the gangster, at least sound behind and basically become like fun. I guess you could say. Yeah, yeah. And his mom has all these letters that he wrote her when he was in prison talking about how he wanted to like start a business. It was his plans to start um, Fizz Entertainment. And, and like, so like his plan to pivot Mm -hmm. towards party music and towards, you know, I mean, but it it wasn't a full pivot towards party music. He still made like the the real shit where he's talking about like real life stuff and, and, you know, serving time and. Yeah. 
you know, being black in America. And so, so yeah, but, but that pivot was, was very noted. And that's when he, that's like, that's when he really started blowing up, I think beyond the Bay area. But it's hard for me to say, cause yeah. I don't remember. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing is like, I mean, uh, well, a little after he gets out and sort of coinciding with this, there is uh, what becomes the hyphy movement in the Bay Area, right? I think hyphy was first originally coined by Keek DeSneak, uh, and, uh, which I read in an interview he says was because when he was little, it, he ate too much candy and would like go crazy from eating too much candy, which I get. Has that, you know, same thing. With me. <laughs> um, and, uh, and he'd be acting hyphy. And like, so when I was like, that's sort of like the way hyphy has kind of always been colloquially used in the Bay. It's like, you know, there's hyphy movement, hyphy music, but then like, if somebody's getting too like out of hand at a party mm, or you yeah. know, your friends acting, I think it's basic, you know, it's like the same way that people say, like use ratchet essentially. It's like it very energetically annoying and destructive. Um, yeah. And, uh, but but it's funny because actually like the hyphy movement was like a lot more positive than you would describe like you wouldn't necessarily associate with the way that someone if someone's acting hyphy that's not like what you really think of when you think of the hyphy movement and so around this same time like all of these different rappers really kind of embrace this sound and it's like a very bouncy kind of like I, I don't know what I don't know really I mean I'm no you know I'm retired for the music reviewing game but it's 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 fun. You know, like it's a very like joyous kind of music. No, yeah, it's it's very very celebratory, and and you're right. It, the the word hyphy kind of has morphed into like a catch all term for any kind of like destruction or party foul. But I, I think it's like its roots are are a lot more positive than the the connotations that are attached to it these days. Because um, it really was just uh, about Mac Dre and and his crew having fun. I, I believe that. Yeah, the sound is like it is very unique. I mean, there there's, you know, there's sampling going on, but it isn't necess- it doesn't feel sample heavy. Brace, you said bouncy. I would say it's like very bouncy, but there's this like lightness or levity to everything. Like it's very it's it's like fun. I wouldn't call it like posy. It's not like posy, but it there is the kind of like dry, like manic yeah. quality to it. But it's like very, I don't know. I was watching um, a bunch of the Trail TV uh, stuff on YouTube, yeah. which is a bunch of like DVDs that, because this is all, I mean, we, we can talk about DVD culture for a long time, or I could talk about DVD culture for a long time. <laughs> but that's like early 2000s. Um, Mac Dre put out these, this kind of like, I don't know, it's like kind of like Gonzo, yeah, uh, like Man on the Street. Uh, like fake TV show. Like it, it's crazy to watch now because like this dude would have done so fucking well in the age of social media. He's yeah. just like, he, and he's such a star, you know, like I was watching him. He's at some like BMX, uh, like, I don't know, event somewhere in like Vallejo or outside Sacramento or something. And just like on the street talking to people and like this dude like does some BMX trick and then just like fucking like lands on his face and is like not moving. <laughs> And they're like, it's it's horrifying. And this like news crew shows up, and and Mac Dre is just like, well, the dude's not getting up. I don't know, but saw it on Trail TV first. Remember that? Like, I don't know. He's just like, <laughs> you know. And then it cuts to everyone just like bouncing around in the streets, like fucking having fun downtown Oakland, and you know, 
wearing like the baggiest Burberry shirts you've ever seen in your life. And, um, but what I mean is like, they're, you know, it's like party and fun, but it isn't like, I don't know. It, it, it exists somewhere in between like something like annoyingly positive and something that like, uh, is also has like a dark edge to it. I don't know exactly where to place it. Right. I know it often gets compared to crunk obviously, because this is kind of coming up at the same time, but they're vastly different. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Vastly different. And, and like Mac Dre was from, from what I've heard, the people I spoke to, he was like, he was an every man. Like he could, he could go mm-hmm. into like any kind of situation and come out like best friends um, with anybody. And like, like the, the Trill TV DVDs, I remember ordering those off of eBay back in the day. And like, they were like, it was kind of like the Girls Gone Wild of, of Bay Area rap, yeah, rap totally, DVDs. Yeah, totally. It definitely was. Yeah, it would be like mixed car mixtapes, kind of. Like, it would be just like dudes on the street making mixtapes of them, like, driving around Oakland. Yeah, and yeah. I'm so grateful for that footage, too, because it's, like, some of the best footage that we have of, of Mac Dre just, like, being himself and, and doing his thing. Yeah, I used to, uh, a couple, a couple. I, I, I mentioned this right before we started recording, but my personal connection to Mac Dre is, well, by personal, I mean like third degree connection to Mac Dre, is that uh, he robbed a guy I know in a field in Vallejo in the 90s. And then like years later, the guy ran into him at a party and was like, hey, you robbed me once and Mac Dre was like, oh damn, that's, <laughs> that's crazy. I did that. <laughs> and like, but you know, it's, it's, it's like by all accounts, like literally all accounts, like he is, he was like an incredibly charismatic guy. You know, everybody fucking loved him. I mean, he was, he was like really a hometown kind of hero. And that's like, that was like just also, you know, by dint of his character, but also just like being really like the face of the hyphy movement. I mean, and, and, and to give a little more context in the hyphy movement, a big part of the hyphy movement, well, there's a few parts here, but uh, but Thiz really came out of it, uh, which of course is a term for ecstasy. Uh, and the Thiz face, which uh, Mac Dre uh, famously ta- taught you how to make, uh, it is uh, you put a look on your face like you smelled some piss. That's right. Uh, so it's <laughs> it's kind of. I mean, I would I would I would challenge our listeners to do that right now. Um, and uh, ghost riding the whip, which is where you put your car into um, what was it neutral? You let your car roll, but you get out of the fucking front seat and you dance alongside of it, yeah. uh, <laughs> which was huge. Like you always used yeah. to see people doing that. I've seen people do it on the Bay Bridge. Like I've seen people. I mean, people still do it, but that not came out really as much. Yeah, definitely not as much. Also, um, the most important, specifically to me, uh, part of the high fee movement was the unabashed embracing of uh being stupid um i mean going dumb was a big yeah. thing but but beyond going dumb you went stupid doo-doo dumb mm-hmm. yeah a couple layers of stupid yes uh i and, you know in today's cancel culture world you could have never gotten away with the sort of ableist language that was used <laughs> in the hyphy movement yeah, um or by the black eyed peas of course <laughs> yes let's get retarded uh, but but one of my favorite videos when I was growing up was this Mr. Fab video uh, where they're like literally just driving around the sunset in a yellow short bus. In a short bus, yes. <laughs> like, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And like ghost riding it and stuff. So it was like very like, it was energetic. Yes. Yeah, yeah. they made it look so easy to, to do the... The ghost riding too, like, but it, but it's not that easy. It's it's a high risk uh, behavior. 
high risk, high reward though. High risk, high reward. Have you done it? No, (laughs) I've, I've never done it. I've, I've tried though. I have actually tried and I I scuffed my Adidas. Oh shit. Well, I mean, that's (laughs) what I'm saying. Like that's it. You gotta get, that's real shoe leather reporting right there (laughs) (laughs) to get into the mind of hyphy while doing this. So, so I mean, you know, we're talking early 2000s, like, uh, you know, it is blowing up in the fucking Bay mm-hmm. Area. Mac Dre is like, basically, he's like getting famous. And that's the whole thing. It's like a lot of these guys are like, this is the ascent to getting famous. Yeah. And like, this radio station, KMEL, is fucking playing this shit all the time. Like, it is just like constant, 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 constant. And like you mentioned, Andre Nicotina, uh, fucking, we were talking earlier too about Jay Stalin. Uh, he's still going. He's got his little billboards yeah. up all over the nation. I mean, you mentioned Mr. Fab and E40. I mean, these guys are all around the same kind of era too, you know, yeah. and they're all coming up. It's weird now that they're all kind of like famous and it makes it like that much more heartbreaking that Mac Dre is killed literally like a, basically a year before this shit goes fully mainstream. Really pops off. Yeah. And, and, like there, there might be some argument to be had of like Mac Mac Dre's death was almost like a catalyst for the other Bay artists, yeah. Bay Area artists, really blowing up because because it was after, I think it was after Mac. I feel like E40's "Tell Me When to Go" was like a big yeah. big moment for for it going like it really blowing up outside of just yes. the, the Bay Area, and I think that happened after um, Mac Dre's death. But, but it did, yeah. I think it happened a couple of years later. It's like two thousand six, I believe. But like. To to think about, I mean, Mac Dre might not have invented the word hypey, but he was the the spiritual embodiment of the word. Hundred like, percent. He he was himself everywhere everywhere he went. Like it seemed like there was no like off switch. Like his his performance self was was also himself in interviews and and just hanging out. So so yeah, it, it was a huge loss. Dre rocked the jewelry with the clear stones. Get on the nigga head like some earphones. Up in the spirit with a clear tone. Get your attention. And the biggest thing is the TV invention. Dope is so long, a big shot of show off. So speaking of that loss, you know, we gotta set the stage. You know, we've set the stage a little bit. Uh, you know, I, I encourage our listeners to check out uh, check out some of the stuff. Maybe pause if you have to. Yeah, pause to and get song. stupid for a bit. Um, take some ecstasy. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Pause you know, and take some ecstasy right show. now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Um, but uh, but you know, Mac Dre's career and life come to a a pretty abrupt, tragic, and kind of mysterious end in Kansas City uh, on Halloween night in two thousand four. And so, what are the circumstances? Reading through this. Uh, you know, you're, you're reporting, talking about like the circumstances and like the guy who organized the show and all this stuff. I mean, obviously, you know, I was not playing rap shows when I was a teenager, you know, in the same era, but I was playing a lot of punk shows and, uh, and the disorganized kind of nature and like money just like disappearing and like everyone being laid and like everything all getting fucked up really, uh, brought me back, but he goes to, uh, Goes to he's brought out to Kansas City and can, tell us the circumstances about. Yeah, so I mean, this is like twelve days after he releases what would be his last album. Um, he he's invited out to Kansas City um, about a month before 
from uh, this guy named Damon Whitmill. He's a concert promoter. He's never thrown a concert before. This is his first one. Um, mm. And the idea is Oof. that it's a it's a Yuck Mouth, Keek to Sneak, and Mac Dre headlining show with some Kansas City artists opening up uh, beforehand. And that's going to be on October 29th, two days before Halloween. Um, and yeah, I think the the deal was that they each artist would get paid twelve thousand five hundred dollars um for mac dre he was supposed to get the first six thousand or you're supposed to get the six thousand of it up front and then the other six thousand five hundred um after the the show was completed um and and he did get that six thousand and actually i wanted to back up and talk about how how damon whitmill got in touch with mac dre um, he, Damon Whitmill is the promoter from Kansas City. Yes, Damon Whitmill is the promoter from Kansas City. Um, a relatively mysterious figure. I don't even know what he looks like. I haven't seen a picture of him. Um, he from the from the documents though, he's tall. He's like about six foot, um, and, and that's kind of all we really know about it. Like a tall black guy um, in Kansas City. He reached out to this Kansas City rapper named Forty Cal. And 40 Cal got in touch with this Bay Area guy named PSD, the driver, who's kind of like a, it's like a, an artist underneath Mac Dre on, on the Fizz Entertainment um, label, mm. Pr- pretty low on the label. Um, but, and then PSD, the driver, connects Damon Whitmill with uh, Mac Dre's manager, and that's how it all gets set up. And the reason I say that, why it's kind of important is, um, and this wasn't in the story, but PSD... The driver is later um, implicated in being the one who was the federal informant that took down this entertainment um, in 2011. Mm. Um, so it's just kind of a, an interesting thread. You know, he, he's definitely been at the center of a lot of uh, bad things that have happened to Mac Dre, it seems, from, from my side. Um, but yeah, so, so that's arranged, uh, the, the, the concert and... He gets his $6,000, and on October 27th, two days before the show, it's a Wednesday, um, they, Mac Dre and three other friends head to Kansas City. Um, and when he gets there, he's picked up by his friend, uh, Savino Davila, who, um, who's currently in, in a Texas prison, and prosecutors, prosecutors say he was like the cocaine kingpin of Kansas City. Um, between mm. 2000 and 2006, he yeah he allegedly brought in two like 330 pounds of coke in those six mm. years, and was was at the head of an organization that included like most of his family members, or, or at least a couple of them. Um, and and yeah, him and Mac Dre were friends uh, by by all accounts, and and based on what he told me, and he was excited. That Mac Dre, Mac Dre had hit him up when he found out he was going to do the show um, to say like, "Hey, could do you want to kick it and maybe provide like transportation for me and my crew?" And mm. perhaps they'd done this before, um, but Savino was down, and so he picked Mac Dre and his friends up from the airport and loaned him a white van, um, just like a white like movers van um yeah 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 savino just had like as you know to do odd jobs and and also his cousin harold piercy um was he offered to have him drive mac dre and and the crew around so he'd be driving the van um that weekend which which is an important detail 
to think about. So, so yeah, they got there on, on October 27th. The show was on October 29th. Um, Damon Whitmill, first time concert promoter. He tried to set up a couple events for earlier in the day to kind of help promote the show, uh, and, and make sure more people show up there. And so that the first one was a radio appearance. And the second one was a meet and greet at a record shop in Kansas. And so Mac Dre did not show up to the radio appearance at all. And he showed up late to the, the record store meet and greet and, and left after 30 minutes. And the, the detectives spoke with the record store owner and he said that he had been excited about the, the event but but the afterwards he regretted it because it all it happened so quickly and he left the store a mess um, and you know it just it basically wasn't a success, uh, successful meet and greet I guess yeah that's that's the thing that seems to sort of follow this story or his uh, Mac Dre's time in Kansas City uh, a lot is that things are fairly chaotic they happen very late they're very disorganized and everybody is totally confused yep. Yeah, no, that that's what it seems like. And it's hard to, because everything we really know about this are, are from these documents and from these transcripts. And there's, you know, there's like a hundred interviews in there and nobody really has a clear incentive to tell the truth in this story, Yeah, which, yeah, totally. which was difficult. And, you know, it's, it's worth acknowledging that we might never know the full unabridged truth of this, this incident. So we get to the show on the 29th, and uh, and you know as you report here, Mac Dre sort of um, well uh, cribs from his own appearance at the record store and arrives insanely late. I was actually when I read that, my heart, you know, as an inveterate rocker, uh, stopped for a second because he shows up 30 minutes after he's supposed to play, which is one of the most insanely sick moves you can do as a musician. <laughs> oh, that's like, that's par for the course for rappers. If you go to rap shows that they're always yeah. extremely late. Yeah. And so he shows up at like 1130. He's supposed to have already been done playing. And like, it just seems like it's, I mean, it devolves into like a total mess. Yeah. So he, he gets there and he, you know, is late, goes on stage, um, and and from all accounts, he it starts inviting people on stage. And if you've ever seen like a, a video of Mac Dre performing, like yeah. he's always got yeah. people on stage. Like totally, tons of people. Sometimes he'll go in the crowd too, and you know he's just a yeah, he's totally a man of the people. So you can it's like Iggy, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And he's super tall, so he's always kind of like cat like towering over everyone as this kind of like shepherd of people. Yeah, and he always has some kind of like very flowery or, or loud hat on too. So you yes, can usually see totally. him. <laughs> yeah, 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 um, yeah. And and this is like one of my favorite parts from the documents is finding this. Like apparently when he was on stage, the DJ, DJ Fresh, who I spoke to, had tried to get him to, you know, clear off the stage because the the promoter was gonna have to shut down the show because it was a fire hazard. And apparently he went up to Mac Dre and, and Mac Dre said, that's not my job. Which, if you're a big Mac Dre fan, that you know that's a famous song, Not My Job. Yeah. I'm a pimp slash rapper. That's one of my favorites, to be honest. Well, so, I mean, that's, that's the thing. And, like, that, that is, like, really a sort of important, like, thing to note for this story is that, like, yeah, Mac Dre arrived late. But this, the sort of subtext to that is that the promoter had to rent this pretty expensive, uh, you know, venue for more time in order for Mac Dre to perform. And then, Mac Dre in the middle of performing 
basically gets the show shut down because he's, you know, partying on stage with too many people. Yep. And, and yeah, that's exactly what happened. Like the, the show got shut down. Um, and presumably the promoter was pissed. And, and we know from the, the interview that Damon Whitmill gave with the detectives uh, and the day afterwards, he, he changes his story three times. Uh, the first time he says that he lost money on the show. And then the second time the detective asked, he tells him that he broke even. And then on the third time, he tells the detectives he actually made money on the show. Um, so, mm. so you, yeah, you can't really. Hey, I'm bad at math too. I get yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sick of these chaotic e-girls. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so, so, I mean, Keek the Sneak, Yuck Mouth, they split town. And Mac Dre, somehow it seems like, I, I don't understand. So he just works out another deal with Whitmill. Like he's like, I'll stick around. Yeah, and that's something I'm still, you know, we still don't really know why Mac Dre decided to stick around. Um, uh, Savino said, Savino Davila, um, he said that Mac Dre had some had a girlfriend in Kansas City or, or a lady there that he was staying with, um, mm. which could have been incentive. But at some point, Damon Whitmill offers him another show on Halloween night. Um, and I don't think it's, it's not clear if Damon Whitmill wanted him to perform at the second show. I think it was supposed to just be a meet and greet. Um, or maybe that's the assumption Mac Dre was under. Uh, Cause when he got there, he showed up after 30 minutes, went to the VIP section, ordered some bottles. Um, and then they, they didn't get there fast enough. So he left um, so cool. Yeah. <laughs> so he was scheduled to do this meet and greet, but the promoter had offered Mac Dre, you know, okay, can you, this is what he tells detectives. He says, Mac Dre, can you, um, actually perform at the meet and greet instead of just doing the meet and greet to help me make back some of the money we lost at the show on Friday. And the, the promoter tells detectives that Mac Dre agreed to do that. Um, but come Sunday, that's not what happened. Mac Dre left without performing. And um, according to interviews from the documents, the promoter did not like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this is where things take a, take kind of a dark turn. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, we've got Whitmill has these two shows, the promoters, these two shows, both of them do not go as planned. Uh, basically, none of his ventures with Mac Dre go as planned. And so Mac Dre leaves this event this Halloween party. Um, and, you know, within I don't know, a few hours, you know, he goes to IHOP afterwards. Then within a few hours, it, you know, he's dead. And so what, what, what happens there? Yeah. And so, so for the, this part of the timeline, we have one version of the story that Savino Davila told detectives. Um, that's the version where he actually witnessed the murder. And then there's another version that we can only put together um, based on a bunch of other other interviews. Um, and so that's the one that I'll tell first. Um, he, he leaves, goes to IHOP. He's still in this rented limousine that the promoter had rented mm, for, mm-hmm. for Dre. And at IHOP, uh, Damon Whitmill calls off the limousine um, and Mac Dre ends up hitching a ride with Harold Piercy in Savino Davila's white van. Um, and it's on Highway 71 around somewhere in between 2.30 and 
um, they're, they're going down the highway and a black infinity, um, G 35 pulls up alongside and with two separate guns, one being and some kind of automatic rifle, uh, they pump over 30 bullets into the driver's side of the van. And, um, Mac Dre is in the back laying down sleeping at the time and Harold Piercy is driving. And when he starts, when the shots start hitting the, the van, he tries to swerve to get away, but but the, the other car, the Black Infinity, ends up hitting it hitting it on the side, trying to trying to get it to crash, I suppose. And the van ends up going over the divider, crossing up the other side of the lanes, and then crashing into a ditch um, that throws Mac Dre's body from the van into into the muddy ditch. Um, where, where he dies and he dies from one, basically one shot to the back of the neck. Um, and, and that's it. You know, there's over 30 shots and and only one, one hit him. And it was, you know, in, in a very critical spot. And so like, you know, this is a gigantic crime scene. It's like, I think it was like two miles long almost. Um, and so it's crazy to think of like Mac Dre, such such a hero to the Bay Area, dying in Kansas City, so far from home, um, in such like a loud, violent incident, and then there's just no information about it for for years. So, so yeah, and the crazy thing that you mentioned the article too is that it, there's an hour before the cops get there. Yeah, yeah. So so the driver um, Harold Piercy he gets out and he's not hit. He's not hit. No, um, he is basically uninjured. And he says when he gets out, he sees a pair of headlights coming directly for him. Um, and he thinks that it's a, a car coming to finish the job. Um, but, but he runs no cell phone. It got, it got lost in the crash and he runs back to, um, uh, a, a motel that Dre's friends were staying at. Dre had been staying at a Sheraton, but his friends were at like a cheaper, like shittier hotel across town. And he he gets there, and the the clerks at the motel, yeah, the front desk uh, clerks, they report seeing him covered in mud. And he tells them to call the police and runs up to get Mac Dre's friends. And in the front desk, they see him. They see him with the other friends run back out a couple minutes later. And I, I think that they were already there by the time cops showed up, like the friends got there first. And I think this is just me guessing. I think they might've taken some stuff out of Mac Dre's pockets. Mm. Cause all that was in there was um, a, like a, a, a hotel, his room key and like a 24 hour fitness membership card that has his name. <laughs> Um, no wallet or, or money or anything. So, so yeah, it's interesting how long he laid there and and why nobody called like right away. I mean, I guess he lost his cell phone, but it's definitely interesting. I mean, to run, you're you're not running for help. You're running to the place where your friends are staying at. I mean, that's like a decision. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, true. It's not like it was like just like down the next. Oh, we happened to crash right next to the place where we were staying. <laughs> you know? No, yeah, that was a deliberate decision. I, I guess suppose he chose going to get Mac Dre's friends versus calling for authorities. Which I mean, in that in that culture, like you don't really call for authorities. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> ever and and. Why would they like, you know, so you said that, um, 
I mean, the the second kind of big part of the story, something you mentioned, which is that, you know, yeah, Mac Dre, this like hero of the Bay Area and this like about to finally make it break on through star like dies in a ditch, like, you know, hundreds of miles from home. And then no one knows anything about it. I mean, that's yeah. the whole other part of this story is that like this has basically been a mystery you know, kind of still is. I mean, it's unsolved, right? Technically, yeah. um, to this day, but there really wasn't like any good real information about what the hell happened, like coming out when, like when this, when, when the crash happened, when he was killed. Yeah. There's been, there's been no real like good information. And there's been, there was a couple articles written about the the shooting in this like small Kansas city Alt Weekly called the pitch, and it was like it's all the articles. Weekly, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and really, all the all the writing about Mac Mac Dre's death is is very like sophomoric. It doesn't seem like the journalistic world really like delved into it at the time, which is very in line with how how they like approached hip hop music at the time too. Um, so it wasn't really dug into. And the one article from the pitch that I could find. Um, very much like just blamed Mac Dre and like the people he was hanging out with for for the murder, and so I was just like, I can't mm. believe nothing well has been written about this. Is that what brought you into the story? Yeah, well, what brought me into the story weirdly, I just wanted to write about Mac Dre's like influence on the Portland music scene. It, it really had nothing to do with his his murder. Um, but I thought that I might touch on it in the story. So I requested the documents from, from the Kansas city police department and they wanted $114 for him. And I did not have that much money at the time. Um, so I, I, um, asked my friend who I, who I'd met in an Oxford house uh, or halfway house earlier, like six years ago and he ended up paying Sick. for half the documents. <laughs> yeah. He was a huge Mac Dre guy. And I know you guys have met Mac Dre guys before. Like they, they know every lyric and. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, it is. Yes. <laughs> That's a time. I've of also guy. met a lot of halfway house guys before too. <laughs> it's all. Yes. Uh, and uh, you've had my, my previous, my most memorable experience. And a lot of them, them are Mac Dre guys. Yes. Uh, my most memorable experience with one is I jammed with a guy once and then he immediately sold my bass and bass amp, um, <laughs> for math, which, you know, respect. Um, Just, yeah, that happened to my, uh, super Nintendo. Really? <laughs> At Oxford. Yeah. They sold my super Nintendo. <laughs> So we got Mac Dre dead here, and then the cops kind of like stumbling around trying to figure out what it was because they didn't. Mac Dre was not a known quantity to the Kansas City Police Department at this time. They did not know who Mac Dre was. Like they didn't realize that he was like kind of an important figure, and uh, and it seems like the the way that the murder case was handled at first was just like almost like stumbling into suspect after like you know this sort of like confusion of leads that the police are uh, pursuing. So yeah, after. Like immediately after the the shooting, cops are are basically barraged with you know tons of rumors, and and most of them are surrounding um, this one rapper, Kansas City rapper named Anthony Fat Tone Watkins. Um, he he's younger than Mac Dre. He's he's about twenty four. Mac Dre was thirty four when he was killed, 
and he's associated with the 51st Street Crips. And his in the in the years leading up to Mac Dre's killing, um, Fat Tone's name is definitely on the rise. He, he's released three three records that were fairly successful in the Kansas City area. Um, on the last one, he the cover of it is him in a hospital bed after getting treated for a gunshot, um, kind of like the ghetto boys Bushwick Bill did in the, in the early nineties. Mm. Yeah. I was about um, to say, yeah. And then that's kind of a testament to, to the reputation and the image that he was kind of bolstering. Um, an, another thing that happened a couple years, I think that this was in 2001, um, fat tone was arrested and charged with the killing of his 17 year old girlfriend, um, who was pregnant with his kid at the time. Um, he was in jail for about nine months on that charge, but was eventually released. Um, no witnesses would come forward or, or the witnesses that did come forward recanted their statements. And so Fat Tone is known as, as somewhat of a, of a menace in Kansas City. So, so when the cops start getting these um, rumors that it could have been him, um, they, they, definitely, they definitely listened and and at the center of those rumors is this uh, supposed altercation that happened between Fat Tone and Matt Dre, Matt Dre on the at the at the show on October 29th. Um, now, like, I don't think any altercation actually happened, but that's what the rumors were um, that that maybe mm-hmm. Fat Tone had tried to get on stage. Matt Dre wouldn't let him. Fat Tone got mad about that, but um, from from all trusted accounts i don't even think fat tone was there that night um i talked to the dj dj fresh who dj'd that night and he said that and this might get a tiny bit confusing but he said that in between the two shows that mac dre did in kansas city on october 29th and Mm -hmm. halloween night the night he died DJ Fresh DJed another show that Saturday, October 30th, where Fat Tone was was there and got into an altercation with someone else. Uh, Mac Dre wasn't there that night, but that kind of it was like enough to like become a to make it. You know, there the story takes on it a life of its own at that point. Absolutely, absolutely, and and people, you know, kind of wanted it to be Fat Tone in a way because it's a very, mm. um, you know, it's. It's a very exploitational crime, like two rappers killing killing each other. Absolutely, you know, people people want to hear that kind of stuff, especially in two thousand four. Um, but but from what I found in the documents, um, police knew relatively qu- quickly that Fat Tone had nothing to do with it. Um, Fat Tone goes to the police station himself, talks to detectives, says he wasn't there that night, and that him and Mac Dre are friends. Um, he he even mentions a song that him and Mac Dre had did together. Uh, that was on like a Bay Area uh, compilation, like mixtape. Um, but but still, rumors persist that he actually did a diss song, like Fat Tone did a Mac Dre diss song that where he said that he wanted to kill the Thizzle Man, uh, and that's never been found. Like you can find people online talking about it, but like I can't find that song. I, I don't think it exists. Mm. Um, Yeah, he, like, even told police, he was like, I'm not even worried about anything because I know I didn't do anything. So, like, I'll just talk to you, whatever. It's cool. Yes, yeah, exactly. He he was very – he seemed to be very open with police, but but in in public, I think 
the theory is that he he wasn't so um, forthcoming with the the knowledge that he didn't do it because it bolstered his image and helped to help sure. him to sell records. So, you know, he he could be a, a victim of clout mm-hmm. chasing, one of, one of the first victims of clout chasing. Oof. And he is a victim because it ends up. Yes, know, <laughs> speaking yeah, of he claiming dies his life, a few months he later, dies, he's killed. Yes, people, someone thinks that. He, I mean, you know, it's rumors, but they think because in retaliation for Mac Dre's death. So yeah, six months later, um, a, a Bay Area promoter and artist in his own right, Mac Minister, uh, real name is Andre Dow. He he gets in contact with Fat Tone and says. Um, and lures him to Las Vegas, basically, uh, under the guise of performing with Snoop Dogg. And, and Mac Minister had appeared on a Snoop Dogg song in the 1990s. So it's very believable that he would know him um, and potentially could get him into onto the Snoop Dogg bill. Uh, so, so Fat Tone and his friend go to Vegas. Um, when they get there, they they start gambling. They're there for a day, um, and then the, the next thing you know, they're they're found about ten miles outside of the Vegas Strip in in a cul-de-sac, um, and basically like this uh, construction project. And they're they're both dead. Had been shot with an automatic rifle of some sort. Uh, Fat Tone is a little bit away from the car, like he'd been trying to get away, and his friend is found like in the in the driver's seat, murdered, and then. A couple months after that, uh, the the call girl uh, Lee Lee Denae Lorison is her name from from Utah. Detectives say that she had been pimped out by Andre Dow and his friend, and mm-hmm. um, and was quite possibly there when the murder happened. She's found dead um, with one shot to the head, and her car uh, is lit on fire. And Mac Minister goes on the run, and he's on the run for just about a year and and during that time he records the intro to the the rapper the games uh sophomore album uh, the doctor's advocate yeah. and and releases a couple songs one song called fuck the law he releases while he's on the run uh and then uh he he makes like the the fbi's top 10 most wanted list and america's most wanted um does a segment about him and he becomes like number 1000 or whatever of, of people that are arrested because of uh, America's most wanted which is kind of funny <laughs> so he goes down and i think for a lot of people like that was sort of like i mean the sum up of the mac drake case is like well all right you know he got killed by this Kansas City rapper and then one of his friends killed the guy and that's kind of it but that never like the case was never closed. Like the cops never figured out who killed uh, Mac Dre, and like you know, obviously there were other people in that car too, and it, none of them being uh, being uh, Monsieur Tone. And so the uh, the question remains: like who was in that? Who was in that Infinity that uh, that that shot the car? And uh, and why did they do it? Like why why was Mac Dre killed? Yeah, and and none of that stuff is is really known or or reported on um a lot of a lot of mac Dre's friends like like jay diggs a uh, famous bay area rapper he's done interviews where he says we know it's not fat tone and and the people who did it have been taken care of um you know take that to mean what you will 
but it seems like like Vlad uh, Vlad from Vlad TV has said that too. Yes, yeah. All of these interviews I'm talking about are with Vlad TV, um, and and Vlad TV is kind of like poking and prodding at these people, trying to get them to to mm. snitch on somebody. But um, yeah, so but nothing's really known. I you, I think you guys are exactly right. Like I think the the public once they once the fat tone saga kind of ended, that kind of put a neat little bow on the story. And they were just like, Oh, you know, rappers be killing each other. You know, that just happens. Um, but, but that wasn't what mm. happened at all. And, uh, so, so aside from those fat tone tips, the, the police, um, and, and the main detective on, on this case is this guy named Everett Babcock, who is kind of a celebrity detective. He was on the first 48, uh, that, that A and E show, about solving a crime in the first 48 hours. Um, Apparently it's very popular. I never watched any of this kind of stuff. <laughs> I, I used to watch. I used to catch reruns um, back in the day. Mm. Uh, but he's like this, <laughs> he's a he's a big man, gray hair. Um, he, yeah, he's somewhat of a celebrity around around that department, I can imagine. And uh, he, he shows up on the scene about like six hours after the murder. And the, the first real tip that he gets uh, is about the infinity. Uh, somebody called it in, called in that it had been abandoned near their house. Um, and it looked like it, you know, foul play had been involved. And so the detectives get there about 530 um, PM on November 1st. And the, the car is completely totaled. There's, there's paint scratches from where it had hit the white van. Um, there's, there's gun gunshots in the car, but it's imagine the gunshots were fired from in, inside the car. So the metal is curling outwards. So it looks like the shooting, mm. the yeah. shooters had been inside the car. Um, and, and the tipster said that he, he saw a ride around four thirty two two men come and ditch the car and then get into a blue van. Um, and, and so fairly quickly, two other people began coming into the fold here, two other suspects, and their names are Calvert Antoine, who goes by Papoose and Taryn Smith, uh, who goes by T-Baby. And they, they're also, they're 50 street, 51st street Crip, Crip gang members as well. And I can't find any connections to Damon Whitmill between them. But, but the, the theory that comes forward that a, a bunch of jailhouse snitches tell the police um, is that Damon Whitmill, the promoter paid these two shooters in somewhere between five and 10 grand to, to go and kill Mac Dre for, for not performing at the, the second show and for, you know, being unable to, to put on these concerts. So so that's the story that that comes out. Yeah, because I mean the whole thing with Fat Tone is that there's not really, I mean if you if you take the fight out of the picture, which it you know it looks like that did not occur, there's absolutely no motive. And so the only person with like a real motive and and really means would be Whitmill here. And and in your reporting it seems like he kind of becomes like the crux of like um well of, of the who done it essentially like you know this this is this is kind of the person that the evidence points to may have ordered the hit yeah he becomes the person with with the most incentive uh out of everyone and and another person that that I find out about 
from the documents is Savino de Villa, uh, who we mentioned earlier as being the, the cocaine kingpin of Kansas between 2000 and 2006, uh, currently in prison. But, but it was his van that Mac Dre was, was riding in when he was murdered. And so when I first saw his name and, and how it had never been released to the public before, I'm thinking that, that maybe this guy has something to do with it. Um, and, and he still might. It's one of the stories that he tells detectives in, in 2008. This is, you know, four years after the murder, two years after he's been arrested. He's still, he's still fighting. Um, he's still fighting his case, hoping to not do 30 years, um, you know, for being a drug kingpin. And so he goes to Detective Babcock and, and tells him, tells him this story where he was actually there at the time of the murder. Um, he says that he, talked to Mac Dre in the limousine before he left um, his, his final show. And Mac Dre said he wasn't feeling safe at the time. And then that, that he gets in his car and he's following the white van as it's making its way towards the, the hotel. And he sees this black infinity pull up and, and shoot his van with his cousin riding in it, Mac Dre in the back. Mm-hmm. And he, he witnesses the whole thing. He tells detectives, um, he even tells detectives that it was the the promoter that had likely ordered it. Um, but then he says something interesting. He says that he decides to just get off the freeway, turn off his phone, and go home and go to sleep, um, which <laughs> is definitely an interesting move if you'd just seen your van with your cousin and you know rap superstar Mac Dre get get shot up. Um, so it's hard to believe that story, but but my theory is that's extreme, extreme, not my job energy. <laughs> it's like very much trying to exit yourself out as much as you can. Yes. Yeah, that's re- that's real none of my business kind of thing. Thinking, <laughs> yes, exactly. He's trying to he's trying to get the best deal possible, trying to tell the detectives what happened to Mac Dre without implicating himself. Yeah, and, and I think that implication might lie in Damon Whitmill having called Savino Davila, you know, saying like, "Where, where are you? Where is Mac Dre in the van?" Maybe Savino told him, and then later Mac Dre winds up dead, and, and he feels like a certain amount of, of culpability. He feels guilty mm-hmm. because they were friends. Um, I, I believe that. I, I think they were close, and, and I don't think Savino, you know, wanted him to die. Um, but I don't think that he was above uh, lying, lying about the, the situation for himself to get a better deal. Listen up, I'm about to get dope. It ain't nothing but some shit I wrote. About a young brother deep in the game. They call me Mac Dre and I'm keeping the name. I sport Nike shoes. I got a mic to use to talk man about suckers. I don't like the fool. Down in dirty box, spitting my hits. So... We've got Papoose and T-Baby here as looking like the likely shooters. Uh, and so t- tell me, how do these guys kind of come into the picture? Yeah, so Papoose and T-Baby, they're 51st uh, Street Crip, Crip gang members by all accounts. Um, they, they've been in and out of jail basically their, their whole adult lives. So they almost immediately, like, kind of like with Fat Tone, their, their names get... get thrown in with the tips, um, as having been involved. Uh, they, they had been in and out of jail. Um, I don't know about their connection with Damon Whitmill, but they, 
they had been talking about the murder in, in jail in, in a CCA Levensworth while they were locked up for, for other crimes. Um, and, and the kind of real aha moment for me was when I had been looking up their names um, in the, the state court database and I found that they'd been arrested together with um, automatic rifles and drugs only four months after Mac Dre's killing. That kind of that that definitely made the the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. Where I was like, I, I I thought it was I thought these two could be involved, but now I know now I know for sure. And and they both were murdered um, separately, and from what I can tell, um, completely unrelated incidents. Um, Calvert Antoine was murdered in 2013, and T Baby was murdered in. Uh, 2008 so so wow quite quite a long time after the murder for both of them but it's interesting they were both murdered in in cars in, in the same way that mac dre had been um gunned down like while driving so almost everybody involved in this story is in prison or is dead um one major figure that is uh, location seems to be unaccounted for is Whitmill. And so, you know, like, like you said, a lot of the reporting sort of, you know, Whitmill does seem to have a lot of the, the motive and the means, et cetera, for doing this. Um, where did he end up? Where's, where is Whitmill? That is the huge mystery of the case. Um, the, the closest I got to getting in touch with him because most of these people I found on Facebook, you know, this is like a 15 year old case. You know, a lot of them, a lot of people were either dead or in jail or their family members were on Facebook and I was able to, to reach them that way. Um, but with Whitmill, I couldn't even find a single family member of his. I, I can't find a picture of him. All we have are his, his interviews with detectives, which he gave three. Um, and the closest I got was I talked to, his lawyer, his lawyer, Carl Boosie, who said that he works with him still um, doing some uh, child support stuff, but that he couldn't pass any questions to me because he didn't have an email. The lawyer didn't, uh, which is kind of hard to believe. Mm. <laughs> Very interesting. And I haven't heard anything since the the story came out um, about Whitmill. So, um as far as I know, he's still alive and, and in Kansas City, and, and that's about it. So, I mean, you know that that's wild because this is this has essentially been a case that, like, like you said, like most people haven't really looked into. I mean, I think a lot of people write off like, you know, something like Max Ray getting murdered is like a rap beef. You know, like this is something that, like, oh yeah, like black people do this all the time, rappers do this all the time. You know, it's like it's cut and dry. You know, another rapper killed him over a Kansas City. I mean, that that's how I've seen it. Uh, like, essentially promoted a bunch is that like, oh, it's a Kansas City, California beef. Which Absolutely, I'm like, oh, right, come on, yeah, Kansas totally. City versus a whole state. Give me a break. Um, but uh, but you know, it, it it's it was really impressive reading this article, like getting seen like these details that haven't really been put together and like so the police you know sort of a final question concerning the case is like the police kind of just seem like they've just you know never solved it like why is that that's a really good question and it's a question that i wished i could have asked the detectives but but the kansas city police department shut me out immediately after getting the documents and a strange thing that happened was after they sent them to me 
in like 10 separate emails because it was just, it was so, the files were so big. I started getting these calls from a guy. He called me three times um, saying that he was a, from the Kansas City Police Department and that the documents were going to be, you know, multi, like $2,000. He's like, it'll be at least $2,000. And I had to be like, uh, sir, I already got the documents. <laughs> I don't know if there was some kind of mistake, but... But it was weird. Huh. It was weird how they shut me out. And then there was that guy calling. Um, and and yeah, so I was able to get uh, a hold of Everett Babcock. Um, I called a number that was in the documents. I didn't think it would work. It's like 16 years old. Um, and, and he answered and immediately said he couldn't talk. And then um, I, I asked him, I was like, I, I have all your notes. Uh, it looks like you solved the case. And he said, yeah, well, if you have the notes, then, then, you know, you know, who did it. Um, and which, which was a pretty big moment. Um, but, but to speak on why they, why they didn't solve it, I think the Kansas city police department has, they have so many cold cases. Uh, you know, it's sometimes the murder capital of the U S um, yeah. But, but yeah, they, they have a large amount of cold cases. And I think when, when the year ends, a new year starts and, and they don't really look back. And then another component is that like the rap community, they've been done dirty by the police before. So there's not a lot of mm -hmm. incentive to cooperate. You know, they, they, the Kansas city police department, they, they did not get a lot of cooperation from basically both sides of this case, which, which is understandable. So that's one reason why they probably couldn't solve it or didn't care to anyways. Well, your piece really puts everything together. I mean, it's a really impressive, I mean, a really, really impressive piece of reporting. Um, we'll definitely link to it, obviously, in the show notes and encourage all of our listeners to check it out. Um, it's just meticulously done. And I can't imagine what it must have felt like to kind of like put all of this together I'm assuming during COVID quarantine, like a little bit of kind of like, you know, really like putting a little, um, you know, kind of board together and piecing all of these notes, almost like out of a TV show or something. Um, it's just a really incredible piece. Everyone can check it out. It's called Who Killed Mac Dre? It's up on Passion of the Weiss, uh, passionoftheweiss.com, passionweiss.com. Yes, uh, um, ran by journalist Jeff Weiss. And um, yeah, and yeah, it's... It's an incredible story, and I didn't expect it to, to take me where it did. So thanks so much for joining us, Donald. It's been a pleasure. Yes, thank you guys so much for having me. I'm a huge fan of the show, and it's a, it's a dream come true to, to be on here talking about Mac Dre um, <laughs> and putting on for the Bay Area like this. It feels good. The hyphy movement will live on. Uh, thank you, Donald. We will see you next to the yellow short bus. Dancing like a fool with no one in the driver's seat. That's right. <laughs> when we pull up to the light, the people all stare. Both niggas in the bins with the dreadlock hair. Smoke everywhere. Waving at Madeline on them wood grain dabbins with the license plate rallying. Doing what we want to. Hanging out the sunroof. Mentally ignorant. Boy, we go dumb, dude. Gas break dip. We call it dope and do a donut in your whip. We call it dose and get stupid. It's what we do good. Go try the whip while we dancing on the hood. I'm feeling good. Brace, what's your favorite Mac Dre song? It has to be Thistle Dance. I heard that song every single day.
uh, throughout my my teenage years. Uh, and you know, what's funny is I never really did uh, did ecstasy during that period. Mm. Um, but uh, but has to be. What's yours? I think not my job is my favorite classic. Yeah, I'm trying uh, to. Oh man, I could. I can listen. There's like, yeah, I like when it's real smooth and light like that. Mm-hmm. It's nice. Yeah, groovy. That, that's. I like Jay Stalin's ballads. It's, it's sort of. <laughs> he does. Yeah. He's got some. He's got some real bad, mostly about money, but they're 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 good. They're you know, it's still love. Um, yeah, hundred percent. I you know, it's it's funny. Um. It's it's sideshows became such a huge thing, I mm. think, in the Bay, like really after a lot of this stuff. Uh and they fucking rule. Yeah. The the Annihilation Time House used to be it was what well, I guess still is, I don't know if they call it that anymore, is right next to this uh gas station in Oakland. There'd be like two hundred cars there every single night. And gotta say, made me want to learn how to drive because I'm like, you don't even have to go very far. They're all stuck <laughs> next to each other. You can just sit in it. All right. Well, with that being said, my name is Brace. I'm Liz. We are, of course, as always, joined by producer Young Chomsky. This has been True None, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. 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 B